So week two of A Humanist Perspective. Yeah. This one was a lot more intimate. We lost about half the crowd. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Part of that, uh, Michael emailed me today, actually. It was like, I just noticed that these notifications weren't going out to people. Mm -hmm. So they noticed it. They're going to send out the notifications for this week. Cool. But anyway, it was a cozier group, which was nice. Yeah. It was nice because we were talking about community and specifically about like being engaged in some smaller groups and the benefits of that. Yeah. But we kind of took a cue from our first meeting and someone had brought up a Peter Rollins thing about community being formed based on a lack. Mm. So we focused on how to identify whatever lacks might be in a community that you, that you think you could fill a gap that you think you could fill How do we identify those lacks and where is a good inlet for these sort of um, traits or skills or strengths that we have that can fill the gaps where that lack is? Mm. And this conversation went a lot of different directions, but yeah, did you have kind of a primary takeaway from it? Yeah. I mean, I would say the most definitive one was that it's a lot harder to kind of answer these types of questions in an actionable way, which was mm-hmm. discussed by um, a couple of the members in that group uh, in particular, but that it's really hard to address these things pragmatically and it's really hard to sort of take something like that lack, filter it through various philosophies and things like that, and then turn it into steps, you know, or turn it into something to implement. That was something I, I, don't, I don't feel like I've necessarily resolved personally, like since the conversation, but it was striking to me. I hadn't really considered that, that like, I don't want to say it's hard to quantify, like it's not the right word, but like community is a hard thing to pin down in a concrete action oriented way. It is. And one of the main reasons that it is difficult to talk about is because you often don't recognize certain things as community. Yeah. It's, it can be just a much broader scope or you could see it as a much larger entity, or you can see it as a very, very small entity. Mm-hmm. So to talk about like taking action, and I think that's a really common, first of all, we experienced a conversation, the subject of which is the most common concern that I've seen in a, in any group of deconstructing Christians or like post-evangelical people, which is once you have kind of felt betrayed by an institution, call it the church, call it anything, Mm. but most commonly a church or a specific group of people within the church. Conditional acceptance is always an issue. And so rebuilding community after that is always an issue. Not necessarily betrayal per se, but like it can definitely take the form of, I don't belong here because I don't share these same values. Yeah. And so this is a super sensitive topic. We saw that with one of the people taking taking part in this discussion where she, (laughs) she was talking about being a part of like small groups as a part of her church. And I found myself going like, oh, fuck yeah, I love small groups. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then someone else referenced small group ministry. And I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot that was a thing. <laughs> and, <laughs> and she brought up that when it comes to small groups ministry, when it comes to different sort of micro communities like that, the group itself becomes more important than what the individuals are getting out of the group. Yeah, I liked that point. That was cool. Yeah. And that's something that I've seen a lot of, and I've heard a lot of concerns raised about that from sort of the recovering Christians that I've talked to over the years. Mm. 
And that's something that we're going to cover in a future meeting, which I'm really excited about. But we sort of got this preview of people are really concerned about individuation. People are really concerned about individual needs Mm. being met by a larger group. And how does the purpose of the larger group matter as much as the individual needs of its members? Yeah. Well, part of why her her question or kind of her line of questioning was so interesting to me, too, was that I've never heard it. I've never thought about it in the abstract like this. Like, you can definitely pose it in relation to specific communities or specific groups and kind of come up with, like, maybe not a perfect set of answers, but you can come up with something. Like, if you just joined a a sports team and you want to sort of join the ranks of that socially and, like, get good or get secure in it or whatever, like there's ways of doing that. Like you can say, all right, well, this is kind of the culture you need to get used to, or these are the skills you need to learn, or here's the people you need to meet. Like it's very easy to apply actions to those feelings of lack. But when you kind of look at it in a more zoomed out way, I think there are, there are ways of answering that question, but I had never thought to in my life. And it was kind of cool to be like, shit, I have no idea what to say. <laughs> and uh, it was neat. I don't know. Like I, I liked, I appreciated the, I don't know, kind of the courage to just ask that that directly. That was cool. I love it when it's asked that directly. I don't love not having an answer. No, me neither. That's why it's something I've thought about all week since we taped that just... And like I was clear when this group started, like I'm a discussion leader here. I'm not a teacher. I'm not looking to impart any specific kind of wisdom. I'm looking to focus the conversation in a certain direction. And that's pretty much all I can do. And I felt a little put on the spot there. I don't think she meant to, no, but yeah. I felt a little put on the spot. Like, yeah, what about the pragmatic approach? And what about the, like, I just, I don't have those answers, but all I can say, and all I did say really was don't wait to be invited. Yeah. You know, like being proactive is your friend when it comes to this. And that's, I'm finding is sometimes a defense mechanism for me because I like to be the one doing the inviting. Yeah. (laughs) I like to be the one hosting and that takes care of a lot of insecurity issues for me. Yeah. And we'll talk about that later. But, (laughs) (laughs) but that was like kind of the only thing that I was really reaching for uh, as like a definitive answer. Yeah. Cause a lot of concerns were going around. A lot of insecurities were going around, but the one thing that I found that everyone kind of had in common yeah. Is that like a church especially is an institution that is always inviting you. Yeah. And so like once you've let go of that sort of institutional participation, you're looking to be invited by something else in some yeah, cases. That's not, a good point. Not, yeah. I mean, not always, but the, well, the one common thread that I found was like a lot of people were identifying that as the lack yeah. It's like kind of a twofold lack is one, the not being invited. And the two, even if you are invited, once you're a part of the group, is your suspicion still there or is the evidence still there that the group matters more than the individual? Yeah. You know, and does the like shared focus or shared interest of the group matter more than the individual? And like, if you were. Like, I, I, yeah, we're both using sports analogies. I used one <laughs> last week, but it's like if you're going to a Super Bowl and rooting for the wrong team, do you have to leave the party? Yeah. You know, like, it's, <laughs> it's one of those. Like, if, yeah. is this a fan, is this a fans only <laughs> gathering? <laughs> that kind of thing. So, 
But I mean, I would argue that that actually might be the first pragmatic step that you got to take. It's, um, you know, similar to the point that you brought up during the talk about being um, kind of being a wallflower, but being more of an active wallflower, like walking into a new social situation or a new group situation and like, you know, observing, like giving yourself the time and the space to observe first rather than just blasting in and imposing your own customs. Like, I think that that's important to do internally as well. If Even if you're transitioning out of a community and into another one eventually, like if you don't have it pinned down yet, like understanding what that lack is, is just as important as filling it. And mm-hmm. that might be the first pragmatic step you can take really is actually try to pin that down and try to put that into a sentence or a word or whatever like yeah because if it is like what you've said like realizing you're very used to being invited and all of a sudden other groups aren't inviting you in that same way then that might not be a lack that might just be a missed expectation and then you can address that an entirely different way and avail yourself of an entire different set of groups and i don't know so that's i think that actually addresses some of the like the felt subjectivity to how her question seemed at times. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, But I would also say that like, this is another defense mechanism that I'm realizing that I have Mm. is that wallflower thing, you Mm. know? And I don't don't know that it's unhealthy. No, I don't think it is personally. Ah, fuck. We're getting to this too early. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just get into it. Um, (laughs) So basically I was on the phone with Joe Folan yesterday and one thing we were talking about was, you know, when, when you're going through th- sort of a, a therapeutic process and you've developed a strategy of doing X to overcome Y. Yep. So like the example that I gave was like the wallflower thing could go back to being homeschooled through a lot of my childhood. And then when I finally entered public school, I didn't know how anything worked. Yeah. Like I hadn't really spent time, like I spent a little bit of time at like summer camps and Boy Scouts and stuff like that, but always as this sort of like look onlooker, you know? So it makes sense that I'm like, I want to be able, I want to be allowed to be a wallflower so that I can look at what's happening before I decide that I'm going to participate in what's happening. Yeah. Like I want to know how to do it before I start doing it. Yep. By observing other people. Because if I don't know the rules of the game in gym class, I don't want to just want to start playing the game because then if I fail or don't know what I'm doing, then I'm going to be judged and mocked and derided. Yeah. Right? So the strategy that you develop is X. Yep. The fear is Y. Yeah. You are a wallflower because you're afraid of judgment. Yeah. And that's successful in avoiding the judgment. And also avoiding some of the more active fear of that judgment. Yeah. But is it important instead to address the judgment rather than continue with the thing that supersedes the judgment? I mean, I think ultimately it's a matter of do those things serve you? Mm -hmm. And like, are they intrusive? Because a lot of it, unless it's, I mean, it's, it's very specific, I suppose, to the, to the action and to the fear, you know, to X and Y, like... It matters maybe what those are, but like, I think just abstractly, it's really like, do they work for you? Mm -hmm. Because they're nobody else's business, really. And if it lets you be a person that you kind of want to be or a person that you're comfortable being, then that's cool. That's not to say that they can't evolve. Like, I definitely think it's worth, like, if you have a fear of judgment, like, 
keeping an eye on that over time and allowing that to evolve maybe away from a fear of judgment towards like, you don't like that situation and you have this comfortable set of tools to avoid being in that situation. But you know, if you end mm -hmm. up there, you're not going to die. You know, that kind of thing. Like, it's sort of like not curing yourself, but kind of being like, okay, like this is, I got this where I can see it. I'm comfortable with this being here. Like, I think there's a value in however you want to play it really in that regard. It's just, it's, it's all very, very subjective, you know, because I feel very similarly about being a wallflower. Like when I go into any social situation and 95% of that, I'm completely content with. There were points in my life where I wasn't because I thought I had to be like extroverted in order to be socially accepted or whatever. But now I realize like, no, when I walk in, I scope things out. I know kind of like, all right, this is where a conversation that I like is happening. This is where maybe I don't want to go. You know, it just was an appraisal of the social situation and then looking at my own mood and stuff like that was very important to me. And I found that it helps me kind of have more interesting and in engaging conversations with people when I'm there. But it also can bleed over into like kind of a crippling shyness very quickly if I'm mm -hmm. not careful. Yeah. And so I would say for myself that the first chunk of that is totally fine with me. It might not be like socially conventional in every case, but it's totally okay with me. But once I pass that point, it becomes a fear if I'm not careful. And that's what I would want to work on. So there's a line to me between like, being a true introvert in that instance. Yeah. And like, I think then, and shyness can certainly be just like a natural part of that in terms of like personality type or whatever. Yeah. But there's a line between that and defense mechanism, mm. right? Like I, I brought up in the meeting, uh, icebreaker exercises Yeah, and stuff like that. And it's like, don't make me do those. I'd rather just sit on the sidelines and observe everybody. Like I'll decide who I want to talk to out of this whole group of people. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but really like some of that is just natural shyness and some of that is just natural introvertedness. But then once you realize that also some of it is a fear of judgment. Yeah. So there is a, a I think there's a necessity to separating what is introversion and what is a fear of judgment. Yeah. But then definitely. like how necessary is it to address that? And, uh, I'm looking for this quote. Motherfucking Richard Rohr just knocking it out of the park again. <laughs> That's a back jacket quote right there. <laughs> Can you imagine how surprised so much of his readership would be? <laughs> I mean, not necessarily. <laughs> So just, many of his the, readers are just are just Pete Holmes fans at this point. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I just picture like the the images of him on the jacket where he looks so nice and so pleasant to just have that review right mm. there, like motherfucking yeah. Richard Rohr. <laughs> <laughs> so he says this: "What must be sacrificed, and it will feel like a sacrifice, is the attachment and the strange satisfaction that problem solving gives us." Don't you feel good when you've solved problems at the end of the day? We say to ourselves, I'm an effective, productive, efficient human being. I've earned my right to existence today because I've solved 10 problems. I do want us to solve problems. Certainly there are plenty out there to solve, but not too quickly. We mustn't lead with our judgments and fears. 
We shouldn't lead with our need to fix and solve problems. This is the agenda-filled, calculating mind that cannot see things through God's eyes. We must not get rid of the anxiety until we have learned what it wants to teach us. Always with the truth bombs. (laughs) So here's the thing. At the end of this meeting, (laughs) I said, because we were talking about serendipity for a minute. Yeah. And I said, I would let serendipity decide what the next topic was. I already had a topic in mind. But, and that's another thing about this is like, what I learned from the that fear of judgment, that fear of participating, that like wallflower-ish thing to me, yep. is starting a group like this, I am so happy to have no agenda. Yeah. Because I don't want the possibility of anyone showing up and not fitting in with the agenda. Yeah. I want, it, like it thrills me to know that there are no parameters and no right or wrong way to participate in discussions like this. And I want anyone to get whatever they want. They happen to get out of it. Yeah. So when it ends and we're just like, well, we've, we've landed here. Why not let serendipity decide what the next topic topic is. And then I'm having that conversation with Joe and this whole thing is on my mind about like, do you fix X or do you fix Y? Yeah. And then I read that quote and that there's my serendipity for the week. Yeah. So now I need to conceptualize that into a topic. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe maybe you can help me with that. But um, yeah, what does that anxiety teach us? And especially when it's an anxiety that is specific to a fear of judgment from community, it will change invariably how we interact with community. And it will change invariably the level of discretion that we go into a new community with. Yeah. But is that bad? And are we just looking out for ourselves? And are we just like trying to really offer what only we can offer in that moment? Like, does the anxiety teach you how to how to act? Or does the anxiety teach you how to think, basically? Yeah, that's interesting. It might depend on what you're doing in the group that you're in or kind of what type of person you are. Because I, I imagine they will follow one another, like thinking mm-hmm. in action in this case. Because like, at least to me, the anxiety is always if you frame it positively in this context, I think it, it's just uncarved something. It's just like kind of the ephemeral shit floating around you and floating around the situation. And it's not necessarily good or bad. It's just kind of like you don't yet have control over it and it it can be unpleasant if you allow it to be in a way. And it's, so I don't know. I think it, it informs whatever's more pressing. If, if it's, if you're in a situation or if you're wired in a certain way that, means thinking is going to precede action, Mm -hmm. then I imagine it would inspire thought. And if you're the type of person or you're in a situation where you got to just jump in and then start backpedaling and thinking about what that was about, like you need stimulation first, then it might inspire action. But that's what's always felt like. I I enjoy the sort of the ambiguity a little bit as well sometimes where I think we, I might've mentioned it when we were talking on the phone later that night, but like, kind of, I think it's a Taoist thing, but you know, the idea of like holding on to a rope, but like not holding too tightly, like kind of letting it flow through your hands. So it's not burning the hell out of you, but like, you're still, you're there, you know, you're holding it enough. Yeah. So I've, I've always looked at at least my own relationship to that feeling of anxiety. When I feel like I'm nailing it, it's that it's like, it's there, it's floating around, but like, I'm ready to clench if I have to. Mm. That's what so many people are doing doing when it comes to this community thing too 
Yeah. It's like they're holding on to... I mean, it's the same thing. They're holding on to like what their strengths are, what can they bring to community, but they don't know that they have the freedom to bring it. Or they don't yeah. know that their strengths are what is needed by community until yeah. they've scoped out the community first. And they can't scope it out until they've been invited. Yeah. And they can't be invited until the community either decides to invite or is structured in such a way that it seems inviting inherently. Yeah. And I've noticed that a lot of times people that really struggle with this, there's a lack of like healthy narcissism too. What do you mean by that? Like there's a almost a lack of permission that you can give yourself to kind of appraise your own needs and say, this oh, is, I see. Yeah. Okay. Like, okay. what do I want from this group? Like if you flip it around and instead of saying like more as a thought experiment than anything, cause I, it would be, <laughs> it's easy to be a monster if you go into something like this, yeah. but like outwardly, but you know, if you like flipped it around, you're thinking about joining a group and just say like, what do I want? Like do it like a negotiation. Like what am I willing to settle for? What's the least amount that I'm willing to get from this situation to make it worth my time? And look at it just unapologetically like that. You know, that also is valuable because that reveals, like I think I said in the meeting, like it reframing that lack from a wound to more of like an osmotic thing, like something where like shit's flowing down a gradient. Like, what do you have a lot of right now? What do you need more of right now? Mm -hmm. That's completely natural and completely healthy. And it doesn't have to necessarily be something that you delay so that you can be a better servant. Like I, I've always kind of thought like that might be a hang up too that keeps people from feeling like they're allowed to join stuff is this fear that there's a selfishness to it at times that we're afraid to look in the eyes, you know? And so I've, I've noticed that around the lack, especially it's like something must be wrong with me if this isn't working out. And it's, it could also be that like, no, this isn't giving me what I need right now. It leaves you with the same loneliness, but it leads you out of there a different route. Yeah, that's really true. Or there, like on one hand, there's the like unwillingness or, or uh, the, the fear to like put yourself out there to get a type of interaction or a type of fulfillment that you need mm. out of fear that it won't work. Yeah, yeah. There's also a fear that if you get involved and are honest with people about what that need is and like this is the reason why I'm here because I'm lacking this in my life and yeah. blank. And then it's like, there's an expectation that you're putting on them to fill that need. Yeah. And there's an admittance of selfish intention there. That yeah. Shouldn't necessarily be framed as selfish, but there is an admission of of I'm here for a self-serving purpose. Yeah. And you know, the thing is that's true of anything and like everything you do is supposed to serve yourself and arguably serve the community once you're good enough at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and once that participation and that shared experience has progressed to that point where it, it is shared and is more um, easily spread. Yeah. But yeah, there, there's so much there because we are often just, I mean, unless we're actual narcissists or unless we're like just more accustomed to being a, like, <laughs> there must be so many people in the world are just like, yeah, why would I participate in anything that isn't serving me? And yeah. I'm fine with that, you know? Yeah. And I like, just go into things, not selfishly, yeah, but with an understanding that something has to be self-serving in order for it to be fulfilling. And yeah, there must be so many people who are just like well-adjusted to that point and 
Yeah. We're, we're not them, yeah. uh, clearly, but... Yeah. But it's weird to me how challenging that can be, you know, how like... Yeah. It should be a fairly, you'd think it should be like a fairly natural conclusion to reach that I have needs, I need to meet them. It's like, if it's something like food, you, you have no problem reckoning with the idea that you need this to survive, you know? And it's like, so one thing that's always struck me is like interesting is like, it's kind of this binary concept of I'm either serving others or I'm serving myself. And if I'm serving others, then any joy or, you know, reward that I get from this is just kind of collateral. It's just something that flings off of the the greater product that I get to catch and enjoy or whatever. Mm-hmm. And if I'm serving myself and I happen to help others, then it's like, oh great, like that that was a freebie. Like that works out for everybody. But like who knows about the next one? Like it doesn't have to be binary to me, you know? Like I've started to think more this way the last few years, but to realize like that's what I think I, I mentioned in the meeting too. I didn't go into much, but the idea that like I don't always let all of myself all the way out in different group situations, which isn't to say that I feel like I need to be cagey in every situation. It's just that I've gotten to a place with certain group settings where I'm content with being, with getting this from that, you know, like with, Mm. with getting a certain thing, because it allows me to kind of just be at peace with some of those things and to not put these crazy expectations on people who have no business fulfilling them and that kind of thing. And I found that to be very freeing because it's like, now I'm not bludgeoning this group to get something that isn't there. It's not like a blood from a stone situation anymore. So I can be a better person. I can make sure my needs are met. If they stop being met and I feel like, yeah, I'm ready to go home now, then I'm free to do so. And I don't now have to start hating myself because why is this not working? This was supposed to work. You know, it's like it allows you to be a little bit more socially mobile so that that veil between you and that spiritual freedom is a little thinner. Yeah, and that can also prevent you from giving too much. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's where it started. It was just this realization that I have a finite amount at certain points. Yeah. You know, to give. And it's like, well, like it or not, this is going to be gone. You know, this Mm -hmm. can be spent and it doesn't have to be spent by me. So I have to like figure out a way of working with that reality until I figure out how to make it infinite, which I don't know. And so I found that that was very important to me. So it's, I mean, I'm still very much fleshing it out, but. I realized that that pressure to sort of be one with everything in a sense, like that kind of like archetypical spiritual, like, you know, like you're kind of free falling with grace. I found there's a lot of pressure in that. If you look at it like this monolith that you're not, because my God, how the hell do you conceive of that from the vantage point of somebody who's freaking out socially? So I found by like compartmentalizing some of those social needs and being like, okay, well I can just do this here and everything can be cool and I don't have to be a dick to people and, I don't have to expect them to be saints. And then all of a sudden it like took the pressure off of stuff. And that spirituality felt a little bit more tangible, albeit kind of uh, unconventional. Mm-hmm. Like there was a week where I thought I was a nihilist because of it, <laughs> but I realized I'm absolutely not. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it was a weird route to take to what I imagined is the back door of that, <laughs> that yeah. classroom, you know? <laughs> Uh, I'm thinking of one of the per- one one person in the group who has said that she's been trying to address um, her people pleasing tendencies, and I see that being like everything that you're describing uh, as give and take. There can be such an expectation that you put on yourself that you don't want to take too selfishly, 
mm-hmm. coupled with the expectation that you don't want to give too selflessly. Yeah. And so like when she brought up people pleasing, my mind immediately went to like that sort of like workaholic space that I sometimes <laughs> find myself in where I'm just like, oh yeah. I'll and it's less of a work of workaholic space and more of an acts of service place. Like if I feel like I belong somewhere or I feel like I've sort of like found some, some chosen family, mm-hmm. I'll do acts of service all day long, you know, until the cows come home. Yeah. Just to kind of like, not to prove my worth necessarily, but like that is one of the ways that I show appreciation and show love is acts of service. But like, it's not necessarily a people pleasing thing, but I can see how it would translate to that in some communities or in some like small groups that you might be a part of where the people pleasing becomes the way that you end up showing your appreciation for being a part of the thing. Yeah. But then you end up giving so much to that thing that the balance gets thrown off Mm. and you're like, okay, say it's a book club and you're, you're providing the hors d'oeuvres every week, right? Yeah. Someone's providing the snacks. It's you. Someone's providing the house. It's not you. And no one else is bringing shit. But like you're so appreciative of being a part of the group and it's like something that you live for week to week to week Mm -hmm. that you just end up giving so much to it. And what do you, what do you end up taking away from it? Like, is it really going to be spiritually fulfilling to you at the end of the day? Yeah. Like, is it, is it going to be the shared experience that you need it to be? Is it going to be the communion that you need it to be? Yeah. It's a long way around to saying that, like, I think that looking at the give and take that way, like... You have to also recognize that other individuals within the community are giving and you can take from them whatever sort of soul points you need to take from them. Yeah. And then like you're giving your own certain amount of soul points to the situation. We haven't really talked about soul points on here. No. Um, (laughs) I think in this context it translates just fine, but at some point we should talk about soul points. Yeah. And soul patches. And Soul Patch. Oh, yeah. I think we've talked about them, though. <laughs> I have to imagine they've come up. So many times, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like, So we talk a lot about, when we talk about community, we talk a lot about like transactional acceptance. Yeah. And one of the things that I remember you said during our, our Community is Complicated episode was something like just because there are a number of different transactions that may happen within a community does not make the acceptance from that community transactional. Yeah, yeah. And like this is kind of another one of those areas where, yeah, there are transactions, there are soul points are being given, soul points are being taken. Yeah. Spiritual fulfillment is being given, spiritual fulfillment is being taken, but that doesn't make it necessarily a transactional belonging within that group. Yeah. But that's kind of what comes to mind to me for me is like, if you're more of a people pleaser, if you're more of an acts of service oriented person, if you're more of a, uh, like worried about the amount of selfishness that you are bringing to that space, just because you are benefiting from the space. (laughs) Yeah. Like it can be hard to see those transactions as not transactional. And that's what I think the danger is sometimes in looking at some of these community dynamics as, um, you know, too much of a binary thing because, yeah, like something can absolutely be a transaction, but the overarching thing isn't transactional. Or you might be a person who genuinely enjoys pleasing people, 
rendering you on some level a people pleaser, but that doesn't necessarily <laughs> right. equal a bad thing. Like, I think looking at the flip side of each one is important because, you know, say like if you're a, a people pleasing person and you just get joy from that and it makes you feel good and you, you love showing up to that group with the baked goods and knowing that like people are going to enjoy these, you put your heart and soul into them, you're good at it, you love seeing the looks on people's faces, all that. It's like, that's totally cool. But like, then look at it as this one time they, they don't enjoy it or they don't, no one eats any. Does that impact your self-worth or is it just sad? And it's a subtle distinction, but like, cause it's okay if you feel sad, it's a sad situation. But do you go home thinking like, well, Christ, maybe I'm drinking tonight. Like I'm less secure in myself than who I was, than I was before. Like that's a different thing. And I think that would make you a people pleaser in a sense that you might want to examine because you're placing your self-worth in the hands of people who aren't aware that they're holding it, you know? Mm. And that only leads to heartbreak, even accidentally. And it can go the same way with the transactional thing. It's like social situations are just sets of transactions, like just on the most mechanical level, that's all that they are. Sure. But think about what happens if somebody misses a payment. Does it change the situation? Does it change the value of the situation? Is that person ostracized? Right. Do you ostracize them? Or do you forgive or do you question? You know, it's like the way that you react to that mispayment, I think illustrates how transactional something is versus just, is it a bunch of transactions? Think about like some of the DIY spaces we've been to, you know, like they pass the hat and there are days where people aren't able to put anything in the hat, but there's still a show next week and the same people still go. And... I have rules about that actually. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, like generally, like the culture of it is kind of like, it's not an iron fisted thing in a lot of cases. So it's like, it's transactional to a point, but it's mm -hmm. not transactional at its heart. And I, that's why I just think like gripping these ropes a little looser, like looking at some of these things less like these are bad boogeymen and more like, all right, these are components, but we're all allowed to sort of contribute to what they add up to. Mm-hmm. I've found that that's a much more um, malleable way of framing a lot of communities and a lot of groups, even like just internally, because you don't always have that much power over them. Like, especially if you're joining one, like it's unfair to come in with those kinds of like flexes ready to go. But like just looking at it for its parts like that at certain points and just thinking about like, all right, how am I fitting in here? Or what am I getting from this? I, th I think there's a lot of value to that as opposed to just showing up and expecting there to be a pre-baked solution for your ills or expecting to be able to come in and be the missing piece. You know, it's like, yeah, I just find I, that a lot of people seem like they want versions of that. And it's just, there's nothing wrong with wanting that, but I think it's just really hard to, it's like docking the freaking space shuttle. You know, it's like you're trying to land two pins on the ends of each other in deep space. Like it's just, it could happen, but hmm. I don't think I've ever worried about being the missing piece, and so I've never thought of it that way. Maybe it's because I've never felt like I was in a community that would see my specific strengths and proclivities <laughs> and whatnot as the missing piece to it. Mm. Um, so I've never thought of it that way, but that's totally right. Like where I approach it more from is like, what is the perfect balance between like how much well-being do I have to focus on for myself before I can be focused on the well-being of the community, you know, 
And yeah. we we brought that up in the meeting a little bit, like the whole like put on your own oxygen mask first. Like it's yeah. it's that, but it's also a thriving community can take care of all of its members. But as one of its members, you also have to make sure that you are thriving. Yeah. You know? And so it does go along with that cliche, but I've been thinking about it more along the lines of like, what do I as an individual bring to a community that makes the community more whole? And as I'm thinking about that example, like the, you know, are you bringing the baked goods? Like, mm-hmm. like I'm not going to make, I'm not going to focus on becoming a better baker. Yeah. Specifically so that I can participate in community. Yeah. That is one of the reasons. Like I, I love being able to bake for people. Yeah. But it's also a hobby of mine. Yeah. Like it's also just something that I like to do that I share with very few people realistically on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. But to enrich your own life to the point where you know that like, should you choose to contribute that thing to the community, the community will be better for it. But the community doesn't necessarily need it. Like it's not asking for it. But so it's it goes. What I'm saying is like it goes beyond. It's not just the oxygen mask analogy, where it's not take care of your own needs before you're taking care of the needs of others or the needs of the community. Yeah, it's more be a more whole person or have more to contribute so that the community has more to contribute, so that the community is more whole. Yeah. Do you get that distinction? Yeah, definitely. And my head has been kind of in and out of that thought for a couple of weeks now, just thinking about, like, what is the ideal balance between, like, what am I doing to enrich myself versus what am I doing to enrich the community? And when if it's focused on enrichment rather than well-being. Yeah. And because that doesn't focus on lack either. Like yeah, that folk like there isn't really a lack. It's more like it will be better if there's a surplus. Yeah, but that's there a good isn't point. Necessarily a lack to begin with, you know. Yeah, because I mean, really, we, lack isn't the only vantage point here either. It's just it was kind of the one that both times, like it, it sort of, I don't know, it seemed to have the most mileage. But yeah, it's yeah. true that again, it just can be very subjective. It depends on the community. It depends on the person. And, Right. I think that's why, like, this ties back to, like, the wallflower thing again, where if, if you're the type of person who goes into things with a little bit of a blank slate, it's important to, like, kind of respect that. Or if you go in and you just know that you function best that way, it's like it's important to go in and kind of give yourself that that beat to be like, all right, well, where is there a surplus to be found or where might there be a lack or what skills do I have? Because if, even if it's just as simple as realizing, all right, this would benefit from being a good listener or I can add to this pile or whatever it might be, or like this person looks like they need to be pulled into the conversation and I'm good at that. Like whatever it might be, it's like you just, you know, putting the situation first. And that I think personally that's a great way to add to any community is just seeing what it looks like, you know, and being there. And like you said, don't wait for the invitation to do that. Yeah, that's a big part of it. There are a lot of things that I would not have done had I waited for the inv- invitation. And I love being invited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It like it thrills me to be invited because I'm not invited so much of the time. <laughs> well, it uh, feels good, yeah. It's yeah, like it's, it's a totally it's human so, thing. Right? When you are, it's like, oh fuck yeah. <laughs> I belong. Yeah. And there's a lot to unpack that, with it. It's like a nice thing yeah. to realize like somebody was thinking about me. 
Yes. Independent yeah. of me calling them and saying, take me yeah. with you. Like, it's a good That'll thing. never go away. And you know what? The people who grew up in the in crowd will never know how good it feels to be invited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so really, they're the ones missing out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this is getting a little too pity party, but yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah I, I don't know if I ever finished this thought way earlier, but like that is also a defense mechanism that I have as being the one to do the inviting. Yeah. And uh, I don't know how much of a defense mechanism that is versus how much of an introvert thing that is versus how much of a whatever. So like now that we're back at that example and now that we're back at the wallflower example, mm. like maybe we can conceptualize what the next group meeting is going to be about. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be, but if the theme is whatever ends up being serendipitous this week, and maybe yeah. somebody else has had an instance of serendipity that is way cooler than this one, but maybe the topic lies more in the end of that quote about what anxiety has to teach us. Well, there's something in that. I mean, just simply put, like, is the fear still teaching you anything? Hmm. Are you still in a perverse way, benefiting from that anxiety. If you're not, then are you in a position to tear it down? Mm. And it's okay if you're not, you know, like I think those are questions that are important to ask in those cases. Cause they're, I mean, I've had insecurities and fears and things that like, I would love it if they weren't lingering around, but at the same time, each time they're exposed to oxygen, I, I learned something, mm -hmm. but then it comes a point where I'm just not, ready or willing or able or whatever to to actually confront them and take them down and then eventually i'll get to a point where i am and that's just kind of like i don't know not crossing those wires i've found is a helpful thing but it can be very difficult to know when those uh when each option is the case mm. and there's skill sets i think that you can develop to get quicker at that or you know make each like stop gap a little more comfortable, but like, it's definitely, I don't know. I think that can be challenging. Yeah. It's tough because like when I feel the most equipped to deal with stuff like that is when I've just learned it about myself. Like when I'm freshly epiphanized. Yeah. And as I've mentioned many times, I tend to approach it more intellectually once that happens and yeah. less emotionally the most energized that I'll feel about something like that is when I realize it and then I have to have the conversation with myself or with other people who I feel like might understand. Yeah. And kind of just get all the intellectual juice out of it as much as I, I just Enneagram five my way through it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and analyze the fuck out of it. And that feels good to me. Yeah. And that feels like cathartic to me in a way. It doesn't necessarily help the feeling go away. Yeah. But the ability to strategize beyond the feeling feels just as productive. But then there's the whole Richard Rohr thing. We love productivity, but we have to learn something from the anxiety. We have mm. to learn something from the fear yeah. before we can be productive about it. Because being productive can often just be problem solving, throwing it away before we've learned from it. And so yeah. that's what I think I'd like to focus on more. And that's what I'm trying to translate into a concept. And maybe it's not the concept. Maybe it's not the next week's topic, but. 
I mean, I would just read that quote too, because it's like, mm -hmm. it's kind of what happened with the last one. Like people just, um, some quote, I don't remember if it was a quote you read or um, one of the other guests read one too, but one of those quotes ended up launching like two thirds of the episode. Like it just kind of yeah. like, yeah, because you can jump back to certain aspects of the initial question. You can go off on like tangents that end up leading you to new conclusions. Like it felt like that kind of group and it felt like it comfortably reached that type of cruising altitude as a discussion. So that might be a fun way to not put a super fine point on it, but it's, it's within that quote, like the, the question that we'll arrive at. That's probably a good idea. Yeah. Cause you're carrying and, the full weight of the serendipity into the episode, you know, but right. it's not aimless. Right. It's not saying like, let's see how serendipitous we all had of a week last week. But Yeah, no. And it, and it would probably be wrong to say like, here was my instance of serendipity this week. Mm. Let's focus on the ways in which it was specific to what I'm going through. Mm. Whereas if I just read the quote, everybody would have their own connection to something that they're going through. Yeah. Just not having those expectations up front so that no one can not meet them. Yeah. <laughs> the better way to go. So. <laughs>